Interested in real estate? How about wealth? Well, they go hand in hand. And here, you'll learn all about it. Welcome to Be The Bank, a podcast where we discuss and debate the topics centered around real estate investing. Your host, Justin Bogard, shares insights into investing in real estate to create real wealth and passive income for you and your family. He'll share stories of real estate investments done right, walk you through the process of owning a real estate note, and most importantly, educate you so you can be the bank. This is Be The Bank, brought to you by Bright Path Notes. Now, here's your host, Justin Bogard. It's episode number 15 today, and I want to get into some subject matter with my friend Richard Thornton again, and we're going to start debating some topics about what we see as the non-performing loans that are coming down are going to be available to purchase as investors and potentially go to the sheriff sale to your local state. We're also going to be breaking down the fact that what uh, price band that's going to be in to help you understand and give some story and some background around that. And also comparing and contrasting what we call seller finance paper versus conventional paper. So stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Bright Path Notes. Hi, Richard. How are you, man? Great. And you, sir? I'm doing pretty well. It is pegging the 97 uh, degree mark today in Indiana as we're recording this. Unbelievable. If you notice, I'm in California. I have a flannel shirt on. Right? Is it that cold in your house? Uh, you right? know, it's not. Yeah, I'm sort of sitting there thinking, hmm, um, yeah. Long and you don't have air conditioning either, so that's even more of a shocker. That's right. It's not. You do not need air conditioning in California today. Wow. I just, I can't fathom it. I need air conditioning every day. We're right in the jet stream to where all the humidity kind of follows right here in middle Indiana and other mm-hmm. states as well. But that's typically why we it's just so humid here sometimes that it's just like, it's like when it gets to 90 and stuff, it feels like it's more like 100. Yeah. All the humidity, but. If I was in the Central Valley, it's a different deal. But okay. um, anywhere coastal, sort of northern California today is not that warm. Okay. I know Texas is getting a big heat wave, and I think you just actually came from Texas. Oh, my God. I was I was down there last week, and I, I, I'm I usually an outside, outdoors kind of guy. Yeah. But uh, I did not want to go outside at all. I, my, my heart goes down to those folks. Um, the night I landed, it was 97 degrees at midnight, and it went up to 110 oh. that day. And it's just like walking into a sauna with your clothes on. Oh, you go, God. You go, why Why do I want to be in this? Now, were people wearing like jeans and long sleeves? Did you see anybody wearing that? No. That sort of weather? No. Because sometimes when it's really hot outside, I'll see some people wear like uh, even dark, like black clothing or they wear jeans and stuff. It's like, how, can, how, how do you survive wearing jeans on like a 95 plus degree day? Yeah. So not to get too off the topic here, but that's throughout Morocco, um, Northern Africa and things like that. That is something they do. You see, right. you walk along the summertime, you see these guys in these heavy, heavy uh, garb, and they'll sit around and drink tea, which is also hot, and sweat. And the idea is that if they sweat underneath those, that garb, then that'll actually cool them down in the long run. I don't huh. think I buy that, but you know, <laughs> whatever you want to do. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that either. <clears throat> okay, Richard. Um, some conversations of topic for today, as I mentioned in the opening the package there, is that 
there's been talk about non-performing coming through for a while now. There's been talk about how much or how little non-performing is coming through. You and I have talked about this openly either on this this podcast a couple of different times. And we've also talked about it in our monthly broadcast that we do live on YouTube. And by the way, those of you that are listening on this podcast today, you can go to the Bright Path Notes YouTube channel and you can watch the video stream of this podcast as well. So, Richard, I wanted to bring to your attention something, a quick topic to, to start off with here, which is um, – 2020, I think it was January, February 2020, we kind of heard COVID was coming to the United States kind of in, in full bore, right? And so a lot of people saw this coming in February. In February and March, we started to see a lot of uh, things shut down. And, and and all of a sudden, you know, a lot of people were, uh, what's, what do I want to say, chicken little. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of talk for like non-note investing people was saying, you know, foreclosures are just going to go crazy. Just be prepared for the whole economy to tank, be prepared for tons of job loss and this, that, and the other. And so as we progressed through the COVID timeline, it didn't seem as bad like that. Fast forward to the day. Be ready, ready for the wave. The wave. Yeah. yeah. You know, the wave. And you have, to say it, you have to say it with a really low voice. Like that. You go, the wave. In a wave. Yeah, that's right. It's coming. It's coming. Okay. (laughs) So we know this today that there is no tsunami that we see in front of us today right now. Uh, Mm -hmm. We do see an increase in non-performing loans. We do see an increase in defaulted uh, residential real estate paper. We we won't have conversations about, you know, paper for vehicles and paper for credit card and student loan debt. That's kind of a different subject matter that we won't get into, but we'll just isolate on the real estate part of it. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, it's interesting what's happening right now. And Richard, I know you came from a conference um, down in Texas and there was a lot of talk about non-performing today. And I wanted to hear what you heard from that conference as far as the non-performing stuff. And then I want you and I to talk about what we see and how we feel about that information. Yeah. I mean, I think the general consensus is that, um, we will see non-form, non-performing notes. We are starting to see them. Uh, the forbearance periods have uh, been um, extinguished. And uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of people thought with uh, forbearance, they thought that they weren't going to have to make up those payments. So they didn't save that money that they should have been paying. Uh, nor did they make any allowance to make that up in the in the you know short term. So now they've got a huge bill for uh, a year or two of uh, debt service uh, mortgage payments, and they don't have any money to do it. So we are seeing a lot of um, loan mods uh, are starting to see those, but those are much easier to do with a private mortgage than they are with a conventional, because as you probably know, Justin. Um, most of the Fannie Freddie paper um, is sold to Wall Street and then sold and put into pension funds and things like that. Well, once you do that, you're locked into a structure. So you can't go back and just modify a whole bunch of loans because they accepted it on a certain basis. So I think the actually the private market um, is going to be a little bit safer in terms of uh, the conventional market for that reason. Okay. So I seem to I seem to 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 think that back in the February 2020 time frame when I was noticing things around me I was looking at who's who's having the problem who is losing their job 
where are they economically at in our, our band of economic income per, per home. And I was noticing it was we'll call what I'll call the middle income. And that may, may not be exactly right, but I'll say the mm-hmm. middle income. You have the super high earners, you have the high earners, you have the middle income, you have lower income, and you have you know poverty type of income, right? Right. Say the, the middle incomers, and that that and the rel, it's all relative to where you live, because the that house for a middle incomer could be a two hundred thousand dollar house or it could be an eight hundred thousand dollar house, depending on where you live. Mm-hmm. But I was noticing those jobs weren't as secure as they were before. And I also noticed a lot of those middle incomers, they seem to live paycheck to paycheck a lot more often than they would uh, the, the different bands of the income pricing. So it didn't surprise me, Richard, that when we're starting to see these non-performers come through, that they're not like the low end homes. They're kind of the middle, the middle band homes. Right. So, which is actually really good for real estate investors to be able to uh, capture some of that stuff and, and resell it. I think it'll help stimulate that market a little bit stronger for that that area because i think the stuff that struggles now is the higher we'll take indiana for example so a five hundred thousand dollar house in indiana is a very it's a very expensive house right so anything above that you're not seeing a lot of flippers go after right now in fact most flippers are looking about 250 and under to find a house to fix and flip because they know they want to rehab it as minimal as possible now and they want to protect the fact that when they flip these houses that they know they don't have a lot into it and they, they are they're protected that way because I did have a conversation. I was at a round table with local real estate investors a week or so ago. And that was on the subject of conversation was that they're not really going after those higher band houses. They're kind of stuck in the, in the higher middle band to lower middle band is kind of where they're at right now. Right. So, uh, and it's interesting you would bring that up too, in terms of them not going after the higher band stuff. Typically the higher band is a little bit narrower. But the, the big thing is, and I think this was a uh, MBA uh, um, stat or so, something like that, one of the, one of the national groups, just with the, the uh, rise in rates over the last 90 days, that increase in rate has decreased the eligible pool of buyers by 40%. That meaning if, meaning that they can no longer qualify and meet yep. the 33 and 44% requirements that you need for your income ratios. That is significant. So that, that lead me, leads me to believe that maybe some of the best deals, if you're the person that wants to sit on dry powder, meaning you're, you're saving all of your cash for something and you're okay to sit on it for a while, the upper price point of that middle band house. So let's say in Indiana, it's going to be five to $600,000 house. Mm-hmm. That could be a pretty sweet deal for you. If you're willing to wait for some of those to get foreclosed on, because you could probably get them for a really good price reduction versus buying a more common 250 to $200,000 house that you might not get as great of a discount on because of what you said, Richard, right? The affordability of that house, you're going to see a lot more struggles with making those payments. And I think there'll be more of those available after a while than there would be the lower lower price band of the middle the middle income. Yeah, I think we're just starting there. So um, my significant other and I, as you may know, we're up yeah. in uh, Bend, Oregon. And Bend is kind of a nice little town now. It's kind of she-she. There's um, some money up there, but it's got a real outdoorsy feel to it. And a lot of people are buying uh, homes up there. So we're now on the, the realtor's email list and getting um, uh, pricing data. And uh, just over the last two weeks, 
Uh, there was nothing that was discounted when we were there. And now we're already seeing on a $500,000 to $700,000 house, we're seeing price reductions of twenty-five dollars to $50,000 already. Wow. So, that quickly, yeah, huh? Yeah, that's already. So you're going to see a lot more of that. So does this answer the question, in your opinion, and I'll give you mine, and do you see a tsunami of non-performing loans coming through the pipeline going through foreclosure? I still don't see a tsunami. I, I, I see a, a, a buildup, a significant buildup. Um, they're going to be on the conventional side, maybe more so than on the, the, the private side. You have to look at it and see, do you want to buy conventional paper? Because your yields are going to be lower than if you're buying private paper. Um, but yes, is there going to be a lot of product product out there? Yes. Is it going to be something that came out of the 09, uh, 08 recession and and literally be the tsunami? I don't think so. It's more like the, the wave that you see building offshore um, and you know it's coming uh, and it's going to be a six foot wave as opposed to a 12 or 14 foot wave. Richard, I, I totally agree with what you're saying, and, and I see the same thing. So I, I do see there there is um, there is some more coming, and mm-hmm. we don't know how much. Uh, I just think it's going to be more controlled. It's going to be more of a slow drip, I think I've been saying, as opposed to the turning on the faucet and letting it all come out. Because you're right, I don't know if we'll ever see another time like 2019, 11, 12, where there was just, I think at one time, Richard, there was 250 to 275 foreclosures, 275,000 foreclosures going on in like one month. Mm-hmm. It was it was a fire sale, and if you didn't leave the sheriff sale or the courthouse steps with a house, and you plan on buying a house, then I, you must not have done your homework well enough because it seemed like there was leftover inventory even after people were were off the courthouse steps. Right. So you're in a, you're in a real disadvantage in Indianapolis as opposed to being in California because I can drive twelve miles from my house and I'm at the shore and I can see those waves coming, but you're in Indianapolis <laughs> and that's a long ways away. Depends on which way the wind's blowing, right? Yeah. Be yeah. To the East Coast. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So we, we talked through that. So you did mention something that I wanted to talk about today, and thanks for segueing into that. And you talked about the conventional loan versus the private loan. Mm-hmm. And there are some similarities and there are some differences in those two types of loans that we buy as note investors. And one of the things that I've noticed uh, recently, and we've had Tracy Z on, uh, you weren't on the episode, Richard, but I know you know Tracy and the data mm-hmm. that she has. And so she mm-hmm. looks at a lot of seller finance data, and she kind of gave us a recap of 2021. And I'll just quickly shout out some numbers here for the sake of the podcast, just so we have a reference point to talk about. There were about 90,000, just under 90,000 seller finance loans created in 2021 that comprised of residential, commercial, and land notes. These are seller carryback. The seller owns the property or the land, and then they carry back financing for the buyer the buyer, borrower, so they become the bank on that. Of those uh, 90,000, 16% of those were actually from one note holder that created two notes in a year. So I thought that was pretty interesting. That seems like a pretty good chunk. Um, The average loan to value on the residential seller finance notes created was about 77% loan to value, meaning they probably put down a 23% uh, down payment. Uh, the land notes is a little bit better. The LTV was 70%, meaning about a 30% down payment was at origination. So that's about $27 billion worth of seller finance paper. And that's across, uh, I'm just going to say the continental United States. I don't think there was outliers with 
some of the other islands and stuff. <clears throat> but that's that was a lot of a lot of data. Now it wasn't as big as 2014, where I think they had maybe 120,000 that were created in one year. Mm-hmm. And so we've gone down since then, and we've gone under under 90,000, and we're back up to 90, and we'll probably go up probably closer to 95, maybe next year, but we'll see what the numbers are for 2022. So what I'm getting at, Richard, is that it it would appear that down payments are are a good sizable option for seller financiers that have those borrowers that that can do that. So down payments? It seems like down payments are much larger for seller finance deals than they are for conventional oh, Overall, yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, obviously, you can do an FHA deal um, and put down 3%. And that's where they have some of the highest default rates, as you would think, because people are already yeah. stretching. Um, we we tend to see a lot more of that. Also, a lot of what the seller finance stuff has done is on vacant land. I, I can't remember what your your land stat versus uh, single family residential stat was, but a lot of a lot of lenders want fifty percent down yeah. on that kind of stuff. Um, so you're going to see uh, much safer on the private note area there. Yeah, it makes sense as a lender. Yeah, I would like to see 50% down on anything. But yeah, on land, I definitely would feel a lot more comfortable at 50% than I would at 70. I mean, 30% down. Right. So, definitely. so that right. that's kind of what I wanted to get into a conversation about, Richard, is that um, it would appear that you know someone would want to buy a bank note versus a seller finance note because the seller finance note may look on the surface as kind of taboo or kind of a problem or why did you have to carry back financing the property? In all actuality, Richard and I, we can disclose this because we, we buy a lot of seller finance mom and pop paper and we have bought a lot of conventional type of paper. There, there are some differences. Yes, there are good and bad things about both of them. But overall, it feels like and it seems like with our portfolio that the borrowers are a lot stronger in the seller finance market than they are in the conventional market per se. Yeah, I would say also, too. In general, the payments are a lot lower. I mean, your interest rates are higher, yep. but the a lot of the notes that we're buying were only seventy to eighty thousand dollar notes to start with. Yeah, and if your mortgage payment is only three hundred and fifty dollars a month, uh, that's a whole lot easier to keep current on as opposed to what you know. I've got friends out here who've got a mortgage payment of six thousand dollars a month. Yeah, I mean, you know, that's not unheard of at all. It's pretty common, actually. Yeah. I mean, that, that $350 payment, that's like, that's less than rent probably in the area too. So yeah, it it quite often is. And, and I I always tell my, my clients this, you may run into some of this too, but a lot of people say they'll see, they'll, we'll get through the process. They'll see the eventual note rate and it was done at nine or 10%. And I say, well, why, you know, why didn't they refinance that? Um, and in some cases it's because they can't, because they're not, maybe I've got, um, a number of clients who are, um, they're not American citizens. They're in, in uh, Wisconsin or Michigan and they're Canadians, so they can't qualify for that. More often or not, um, it's a little bit like buying a car where people buy a car on either um, price or payment. And they're used to making that $350 a month payment. They really don't want to refinance and go to that. So fine, I'll just stay with it. So that works well for us because we get a lot of nice long-term investment out of that. Yeah, I would say off, off the top of my head, some quick 
combating things uh, for the, the seller finance paper versus conventional paper or the fact that conventional paper is usually more expensive, right? You said we're averaging, you know, between 60 to 80,000 for seller finance paper. So the conventional paper is probably going to be over a hundred grand pretty easily. Cause like you said, banks aren't going to be, um, you know, refinancing or giving out loans really under a hundred grand, depending on the bank. Maybe there might be a few that do some lower, but more than likely it's the house has got to have some more value to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you got the fact that the interest rates are going to be a little bit lower as far as what the borrower pays for that conventional paper. So that doesn't help uh, our situation as a note investor that much. Um, also, the borrowers aren't putting down as much of a down payment from the get-go as a seller finance here paper. And so those are kind of the, the little negative factors there that compare the seller finance paper versus the conventional paper. But they both have their good points and they both have their bad points. Um, as you get more expensive paper, right, you probably get a better, higher credit score borrower and a more reliable borrower. But then again, it's all relative you know, to their situation. We talked about the middle band economic uh, income folks, how those houses are probably going to be more available and go through foreclosure because they got kind of hit the hardest for this COVID stuff, I think. Um, so you're going to see those houses available. But would you rather spend 500 grand on one house or would you rather spend 500 grand on, on 20 notes? You know? Right. It, it all comes down to how you want to diversify your portfolio. So Richard and I are of the same mindset, right? We're going to buy more. We're going to go for quantity as opposed to, you know, getting a one hit wonder. That's a lot higher, higher um, price point to go after for our loans. So, I like that one hit wonder. I like that. That's great. Wonder it's that's, that's right. the the song, right? One hit wonder for those uh, bands or, or uh, solo musicians that just have the, the one hit. I can't think of one off the top of my head or else I'd say one, but I'm Oh no, that was a Tom Hanks movie uh, a couple of years about four or five years ago. Um All the Things You Do or something like that. That's what that was about. It was a really great movie. Um so but you also something else I wanted to mention. Um I know there are a lot of listeners out here from all over the country. And so if you decide that you want to get into something like this, participate in it. Um, whoever you're dealing with, whether if you're dealing with us or somebody else, um, do a little bit of homework in terms of uh, where the notes they're buying are. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an extreme example, just to make my point. Um, overall, the unemployment, the foreclosure rate here in the Bay Area is going to be much lower um, than other places. Why? Because you've got a lot of tech and People are making a lot of money because of that, but you've got a lot. You've got um, five universities. Um, you've got a, a lot of companies that weren't really negatively affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, matter of fact, tech, you know, as you know, went went through the roof. So a lot of people have gone through this pandemic financially, and it's been a great big so what. Right. But if you're you know in an area that um, has a lot of um, industry, uh, was really depending on the supply chain, um, a lot of meat production throughout the Midwest or something like that, um, that could have had a big impact. And so that's going to affect the overall economics of your area. So just something you need to, to look at. Absolutely. All, all that stuff weighs in. <clears throat> so I think uh, I want to curtail back to the beginning conversation when I mentioned about the re- the traditional real estate investor in my little group that I had a round table and a lot of the, the questions were being kind of put out there to the group. And I was invited in there because what I do is a little bit different than what the other guys do in the group, but it all kind of ties into each other. And so there was a lot of questions about what is your biggest fear right now going on? A lot of people were answering questions about, you know, not finding 
uh, the property or not making enough money in the deal because the properties are harder to find and the deals are a little bit thinner, having to get creative. And I'm, I'm sitting back here going, I didn't even, you know, I've been so entrenched in what we're doing with Seller Finance Paper that I didn't even realize that a lot of this stuff not only has it been affecting the consumer to buy properties because they're having to pay a lot more and the inventory is down, but it's also affecting the investor that lives off of the wholesale deals, the flip deals, and not necessarily the rentals. I think they're doing okay, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of that stuff really does affect them. And, and um, when it came my turn to kind of give my two cents on the subject matter, you know, I kind of I kind of pushed them in a way to say. Now, sometimes you have to think outside the box. Sometimes you have to figure out how can I buy something on terms, as we call it. And I want to buy it with someone carrying the financing for me, meaning the seller. And how can I resell it with seller financing? Knowing that the margins may look thin on paper, but uh, overall, you can you can use that interest and hold that paper longer and you can make yourself a really, really, really good deal. So I was pushing those other wholesalers in the group to to kind of study and learn some opportunities about how you can use creative financing to make your deals a little bit sweeter. And mm-hmm. also you have people like myself that can buy those deals as well. You're not stuck with that paper per se. I think that's their perception is that if I don't sell it quickly and I don't sell it now, I'm not going to make any money on it. Mm-hmm. So it, it seemed like they have lost that perception. Now, luckily, Richard, you and I have ran to several people across the country that are wholesalers that have learned and tuned into that creative financing wheel part of the deal. And they're making some really good money. And they're also making some really nice notes for us to buy as well. Right, right. So Richard, uh, did we hit the nail on the head as far as answering the questions about the non-performing loans? Was there something else that we needed to mention about non-performing loans? I'm thinking in my head, you and I earlier talked about <laughs> something yeah. else that non-performing we wanted to point out. I, I don't, I'm not recalling what it was. No, I think I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, we, talk, we talked about the breadth of the market, um, <laughs> conventional versus non-conventional. What we didn't talk about, well, you know, you talked about a little bit in terms of the the whole phenomenon being yeah. more of a, a a a middle market. I mean, there are a lot of people out there who thought that forbearance was forgiveness, and yeah. forbear, forbearance <laughs> yes. is not forgiveness, yeah. and that's why we're starting to see an uptick here, is because all of a sudden they've got. Uh, a year or two years of mortgage payments that they have to make. And they went out and spent the money. So I, I want to dovetail that into a side topic. Uh, I don't think we have too much time to talk about it, but a couple of notes that we've bought, I've been looking at the liens on there currently. And a couple of the notes that we're buying have to be delinquent. I would say probably, I don't know, Richard, maybe five to 10% of the loans that we actually look at may have a little bit of a problem to them as far as delinquency or not performing as well. Maybe a smaller percentage than that. I don't want to make the numbers sound really big. But one of them that we looked at recently, Richard, I don't think you had a chance to dive into some of the details, but I discovered that, you know, I'm starting to see some condo association uh, delinquencies pop up in there and some liens recorded against the property that could be an HOA or a COA, as we call them. And some states are super liens where they, you know, they go in front of the first mortgage as opposed, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> as opposed to being a junior lien to the mortgage. Mm-hmm. And so those are things you have to watch out for now in this market coming up. Like you talked about some of the more expensive priced homes that are going to, we both talked about the more expensive priced homes that are going to be up for sale and probably going to go through foreclosure. That's something to keep an eye on too, about the HOA and the, and the condo association part of it, because those liens can jump in front of you and, and those liens can be kind of salty as well. And so it's not just about delinquent taxes, right? There's other liens that you want to be, 
aware of and monitor. So I, I bring that up to kind of refresh our memory about, you know, it's not just about buying the debt at a discount. It's not just about what the borrower owes from forbearance and all that stuff. There is some some stuff you got to take care of as the other uh, folks that need to get their money from you, which are the other liens recorded against the property. Right. So, and that brings up a good point too, just something else to, to consider. When I was doing flips, the worst flip I did um, was great as far as the financing and the, and the sailing and the selling of it and la, 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 la. What I didn't count on, and this is something that could happen right now, was the fact that the HOA had deferred maintenance on, on roofs. And because, because of uh, they couldn't make a lot of their payments, they had a one-time assessment. Well, like a game of musical chairs, I happened to be the guy who owned, who was sitting in the chair at that time. And I got left with a $22,000 bill um, to contribute to the HOA for uh, roofing. And, um, you know, that was at that point a quarter of my product, uh, my, my profit. So um, you have to be careful for little things like that. So non-performers can be great. <clears throat> a lot of people see it as, you know, maybe maybe the greed dollars start rolling in the back of their eyes and all they can see is like, oh, this is going to be a great deal. But there, there are a lot of things that can slow you down. There are a lot of things that can impede your profit as you get closer to the finish line. And uh, you can't just do one and make money, right? You got to do several of them to make really, really good money. Then you have to be very patient with them. So there's a whole, it's a whole history with non-performing loans. So if you're a first-timer investing in mortgages, don't think – that you want to just to go non-performing first. We highly encourage you to do some performing loans first before you get into stuff. But that's a conversation that Richard and I are more than welcome to have with you folks. So Richard, that's about all the time that we have for today. Thank you again for being on episode number 15 with me of the Be The Bank podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Bright Path Notes. Do you have any closing thoughts today, Richard? Um, invest wisely and carefully. <laughs> I was going to say, that's good. I was going to say um, it's the long play. You know, you never get into real estate investing, assuming assuming you're going to be making a fast nickel or assuming it's going to be in and out quickly. You always have to be prepared to have your investment out there longer to expect the unexpected and to be in it for the long haul. If you're only going to plan on being in it for a couple of years, you might not be as happy as you will be looking at it being in it for about 30 years down the road. Exactly. All right, episode number 15. Don't forget to check out the video version of this on our Bright Path Dotes YouTube channel. Until next time, guys, see ya. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to Be The Bank. We hope you learned something from today's show. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us. Plus, check out our Bright Path Notes channel on YouTube and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Be The Bank and on Instagram at Be The Bank Podcast. Be The Bank is sponsored by Bright Path Notes. Thanks again for listening.